0: This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 95. Hello, wonderful humans. How are you all doing this week? Today's conversation is one I've been sat on since before lockdown number one. Feels like forever ago and I'm not really sure why or how that ended up happening I think I've mentioned already that when the first lockdown hit nothing I had banked felt entirely appropriate to share we were all kind of reeling and I knew everyone was struggling just to kind of get by and then momentum took over and there was all sorts of different episodes to share so I've gone back and made sure that I'm going to be sharing everything I have with you guys because this is such a great conversation it's one of the best conversations I've had in a really long time and we went way over on time because of that but there was just so much I wanted to speak to today's guest Mel about. Also because the conversation is a little bit more historic now um, there's a couple of things that maybe I'd answer differently or comment on differently in the time we are now just here and there things that I was semi-tempted to go in and edit maybe to say slightly differently and then I thought no let's just let it stand alone I'm probably overthinking it and we're all able to listen and take in the context where it was, I think. So let me introduce you to Mel. She runs a business in Northern Ireland called Assembly and it's really a community for women who are looking to get into personal development and foster courage and become more true to themselves. But she's also the co-founder of FreedomX, which is an anti-human trafficking non-profit. she started I think in her 20s and she's a blogger and she's a mum so she's just got so many different angles to look at things from and she's a really fascinating person to talk to. I think Mel and I first met I was trying to remember this I think we met in Instagram DMs when we had a bit of a disagreement about something like a little bit of a debate and I love that she's one of those people we need more of this online I think where you can come at something from two different viewpoints have a conversation and still end with a mutual relationship which is what I now feel like I have with Mel. So enjoy this hour-long conversation and I hope you love her as much as I do.
1: Hi Mel, so good to be talking to you. Hi Sarah, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah I'm good, I'm in a quiet house and the heat is on, the kettle has been on, it is perfect half-term bliss.
0: Not many moments like that to be found in a lifetime.
1: Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> um, do you want to give everyone a quick introduction to you and your work?
1: Sure. Um, so my name's Mel Wiggins. I live in beautiful, complicated Northern Ireland um, and I live here with my husband Dave and we have two kids uh, and I run a business called Assembly which is a community for women um who want to be more true to themselves and we do that uh through lots of in-person events here in Northern Ireland and an online members community and group coaching and one-to-one coaching and all that kind of stuff so that is me
0: so what do you call yourself if you're at a party and someone's like so what do you do for a living
1: oh that's a really good question I don't go to many parties (laughs) no me either this is a very (laughs) theoretical question (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm like, oh, what would it be like to go to a party? (laughs) Um, If I was asked, I know that's, I mean, isn't that the question that stumps most people who have these kind of multi-layered jobs and roles? Um, You kind of end up
0: picking one to suit your intended audience, like who who you think they want you to
1: be. I know. I, I guess that would depend. Who am I talking to? Um, I would say that I run a business working with women, that I lead a community um, of women uh, who are interested in personal development, who are interested in courage and being more true to themselves, and that I write and I teach in that community.
0: But you don't identify yourself then as an entrepreneur or as a coach? Mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated just what labels people do and don't apply to themselves. I know.
1: I feel like there's a bit of a fast and loose approach to some of those terms. Yeah. Um, And I'm tiny bit reluctant to just uh, sit on one. So I would say that I run a business. I like that. Yeah. And that there's lots of different parts to that business.
0: And because that is the real thing, isn't it? Like whether you identify as... multi-hyphenate or as Mm. you know as a coach or as a teacher or an educator the real day-to-day work is actually the bigger picture of running the whole business.
1: It is and I think that there's lots of nuance in in those words and you know lots of nuance isn't always um, acceptable in a party situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah yeah, you don't have time. I'm the person who'd be like, let me take you over to this corner of the room and let me talk you through.
0: (laughs) Because who's got time for small talk? I want to get straight into the good talk.
1: Yeah, I'd be like, and now I want to hear all about your fears. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: how did you end up where you are now? Because this is so different to the work that you were previously doing.
1: Yeah, so my whole like potted history of my career, my work in life, has been in the non-profit charity sector. So, um, I guess kind of similarly to you in some ways. There was, um, like I, I went to university and did a youth work and theology qualification. Um, I went straight out of uni into the non-profit charity sector, working in homeless shelters, working in a kind of social movements, um, to do with, uh, social justice and that kind of thing. Um, and then that was, that was in London. So I studied in London and lived in London, um, after uni for a while. And then my husband and I got together kind of long distance and I decided to move back to Northern Ireland, which I never thought I would do. Um, I was like, I love the city life and, um, Northern Ireland's so small in every single way, physically and in the mind and all <laughs> that stuff. And I never imagined that I would come back to live here, and also that I would love living here now. But um, when Dave and I got together, and I decided to move back, um, I had I I had just finished up a job in London working for a for a charity that was exploring the issue of modern slavery. So I was really like, my interest was really piqued at that time. Like I, I was in an office doing kind of admin work for this charity and this new team looking at modern slavery was kind of starting up and I was just kind of swiveling my chair around to listen to their conversations Mm -hmm. and kind of learn and uh, volunteer for different things. So when I moved back home, that interest just kind of stayed with me and, um, I started to look into the issue here in Northern Ireland and in the South and look at what that was like. And it almost kind of spiraled from me being interested in it to then people wanting to talk to me about it because there wasn't a whole lot of conversation about the issue of human trafficking, modern slavery, exploitation, all of that stuff. So, um, I did a good bit of research, a friend and I kind of teamed up and we did a lot of research into the issue locally, realized that there were huge problems and huge gaps in the system and we decided we were going to form like a volunteer group. So we did that, um, kind of gathered a bunch of people who were also interested in the issue and started to do campaigning and public awareness and go to talk at different groups.
0: I feel like I just have to stop you for a moment there. That is huge all in of itself. Like you went from an interest (laughs) in this to like, these are the things that a lot of people would love to do, but never quite find the skills or the time or the energy to, to bring together. What do you think it was that was kind of pushing you forwards with that?
1: I just, I love, um, I'm a real, like, starter of things like I realized that recently about myself like I really love the initial like this isn't being done let's let's see how we could do something here I love to kind of bring people together in some ways I guess that's that's kind of been a pattern um and I don't know maybe it was I I always say when people ask about this is that there was a real mix of it being the right time for me to explore this stuff, the right kind of time in the political climate in Northern Ireland for people to be asking questions about this issue. Um, There was a curiosity around the general public around the issue and the momentum kind of garnered itself and we kind of went along for the ride. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's such a, it's such a curiosity inducing subject. I think it's a, there's a lot of people really fascinated by how this could happen, how it happens, you know, generally, I think.
0: Um, It's interesting to me as well. I I feel like you're the first person who's like, you say that so neutrally, like, I almost feel like, like a lot of people might feel that it's wrong to be curious about subjects like this, that like you should either already know it all or that like pursuing it out of your own interest is somehow not selfless enough. Mm. I don't know if I'm articulating that very well, but actually like the idea that just curiosity, just curiosity and like what, how is this a thing can still be a real powerful force for good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God gosh, I love curiosity. Like it, it's a big value of mine, but, and especially so at that, at that time, this was like nine years ago, well, maybe 10 years ago uh, when this started. No, actually, I'll tell you when it was, I was pregnant with Levi. This seems to be a bit of a theme. I like (laughs) (laughs) get pregnant, have some sort of identity crisis that I'm going to be crushed into just one role. And decide to kind of rebel against that and and look into other things
0: (laughs) well it's a period of creativity isn't it you're literally creating with your body so
1: it definitely was a little bit of rebellion as well I think I think it was a little bit of a I'm terrified that this this role that's impending is going to change me in every way that I won't have any outlet for things that I feel passionate about so I'm going to get in there before it happens so interesting Explore stuff. Yeah, definitely. It definitely was a bit of that, if I'm being honest. Um, And I remember we had just moved back to Northern Ireland. I was pretty heavily pregnant and I was just literally on the sofa looking up phone numbers for like the police, for like women's aid, any kind of victim support service in in Northern Ireland and cold calling them. And was, you know, I remember the first conversation I had with our local police team, I asked if I could speak to someone about trafficking and they put me through to the traffic branch, like (laughs) traffic branch. Like, no, actually that's not who I need to talk to. Um, So I, yeah, that was a good sign that there was a little bit of work to be done even with the authorities. Um, So yeah, it was, it was a really weird time and it was actually really exciting because nobody was talking about it. And we were, we just did a lot of listening and a lot of like building networks of people, bringing people around tables, asking lots of questions, um, and gathering information about what, a, uh, informative information led volunteer group might look like, you know, um, And from there, like we it ended up that I was working in a school at the time and part time just after I'd had Levi and was still doing all this volunteer stuff. And I remember feeling like like every break time I was sneaking away to make phone calls or send emails or reply to someone who wanted us to come and talk about this or, you know, respond to invitations to go to. Our government buildings to go to talk about things, feeling super unqualified but curious, um, and just kind of saying yes. And um, it got to the stage where both myself and Laura, who who had been leading this work, we just both felt like there was too much to do that we couldn't keep up both our job and our and this activism stuff. So mm. we approached a local community group, a local charity. Um, about potentially applying for funding so that we could be employed to do this. So uh, it was kind of cheeky when I think about it, you know, (laughs) excuse me, (laughs) would you mind creating a job for us? Um, But they were up for it and it really aligned with what they were doing. So uh, yeah, we were really lucky to get funding for, like and the project's still going it's called freedom acts and um I led that project for eight almost nine years
0: it's so Um, amazing it's so inspiring
1: well it's it's it was a really it was a really amazing formative experience for me I'd never done anything like that before I'd never led in that way before um and had to be like had to, had to be at such a learner at every stage, like.
0: Yeah. And well, that thing you said about feeling totally unqualified and that's something, especially for women, isn't it? There's so much research that says we hold back and we want a piece of paper that says it's okay for us to take up that space.
1: Totally. But you just had
0: to do it anyway.
1: We did. And I remember the first time we got invited to speak at like a all parliamentary group in our assembly buildings up in Stormont and like, you know, Laura and I were just these two brand new mums who had never done anything like this before. And <laughs> I remember really specifically, and I probably have the picture somewhere of us in the toilets <laughs> <laughs> with our like official badges, like the, you know, lanyards on or whatever, and just kind of looking at each other going, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> and then we just took a selfie with them in the toilets and quickly scuppered out and kind of relaxed our shoulders, put our heads up and walked in and talked about what we actually, what we really did know about and what we were learning. And, um, yeah, it was pretty incredible to be part of that and see the, see loads of change as well. Like we saw, we seen loads of change in like, um, policy and lawmaking and, how government departments work, and not just the kind of strategic side, but then loads of change in terms of how our services work to support people who are potential victims or identifying victims and all that kind of stuff within the NHS, within the police service and all the different kind of statutory
0: Do you think it's made you like because that there's an area of work obviously it's a lot of harrowing stuff that you're going to be encountering and I think a lot of people might imagine it really can wear you down but then on the other hand it sounds like it was almost an optimistic experience because it made you see how possible change is.
1: Mm. Yeah I mean we always there's a lot of anti-trafficking or anti-slavery charities out there and doing incredible work and I think that I think personally, and also because I was leading this project, I got to shape how we, how the narrative was around the issue. Um, I think what was really important to us was that we always had a hopeful approach to the work that we were doing. So it was never, we never wanted to get support from people because of fear or because of like victimizing people even further. Um, a lot of even down, Sarah, to like the imagery that's used to kind of look at these issues. So instead of putting like, you know, a woman in chains on a poster or, a, you know, a, an online um, kind of awareness campaign, we were really, really hell-bent on not using that kind of imagery because I think sometimes it can be really debilitating. Um, and it can feel really um, oppressive yeah. and hopeless to people yeah. if that's if that's the imagery that's used. Um, it doesn't really spur on much uh, responsibility, I think. Interesting. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, and and I guess it's also not always that representative of the the actual. Absolutely how not. Look, how it looks in the real world.
1: Yeah, it's, it in fact it actually is detrimental to some of the particulars and the details of how this works and the stereotypes that are used so we were really really keen to not do that so you know our message is always that always that everybody can be eyes and ears in their community everybody can um be a good neighbor can be a good employer can see where this might be happening and has the power to um to say something or to acknowledge something or um to kind of stand up and and talk about it. So uh yeah, that was really really important was to keep a hopeful frame around it and although that's really hard, like we had we kind of transitioned from being at the beginning of the Freedom Acts story being very much about just awareness and bringing awareness to the general public and to the people in authority that needed to know more about the realities to um, actually then starting to work with people who were most at risk of this type of exploitation and um, and creating uh, programs and resources for them to uh, protect themselves and to know their rights and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was really cool to, to be able to evolve the work as well, I suppose.
0: It sounds, yes, really empowering for you and also like what an amazing thing to have created in the world. Like a legacy, I don't know, you're
1: probably too modest to say it feels like that.
0: <laughs> oh, legacy <laughs> feels heavy.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, I know get, I get that. It, it has been, it has been an important piece of work. It's absolutely not down to me. Um, there's so many moving parts and people that were involved and, ha- and are still involved in that work, and um, I am really proud of it. I have to say, and I think. Um, The decision to move on from that work was really hard.
0: Yeah. So this was my next question was how you was this when you were pregnant with your second child?
1: Well, no, actually, it was well, I guess when I was pregnant with Ada, as you as you alluded to, like the work is quite heavy, like Mm. just in terms of what you're learning about what you're talking about, the kind of the way that you have to be really, really on it in terms of it's, a, I mean, it's a serious organized crime. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not like super easy to go to work in that, uh, context all the time and be strategic and all the rest of it. So at that stage when I was pregnant with Ada, this is about three or four years ago. Um, I just really felt like I was missing, kind of a female creative company. And I decided really tentatively that I wanted to do something about it. Um and I had followed all these amazing women on Instagram locally who I just I just loved their work. I loved the um the way they talked about their work. I wanted to be around that even though I wasn't really doing anything I guess puristically creative <laughs> myself. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to be around them. I think that's that's creepy enough, but also really accurate.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of us can relate to that, though, that y- you tap into this community and Instagram is such a good place for it. And you're like, oh, this this is what I need. This is who I am. And where are you all? Come over yeah. to my house, please.
1: Yeah, totally. It just I just felt like that was a missing part for me. And every kind of sphere that I was involved in was quite intense. And I wanted something that was um, a bit more relaxed and had a different energy. So I started to kind of ask around with some of those women that, and just decided I was going to plan like an informal gathering, something like dinner and a workshop or something where we could get together and like chat. And like I was all this time I was kind of blogging, um, and had a blog that I was writing about different things, whether that was like ethical issues that really, connected to my work at freedom acts um or family life it was a whole mismatch of stuff and so i yeah i just wanted to gather these people together these women and so we did that we had like a first uh gathering which i called assembly i don't know why immediately i was like i'm going to name this and Mm. i'm going to create a name for this but assembly was the name that came and um, yeah, so this was t- 2016 in, in October and we had this beautiful, um, dinner and workshop in this orchard. Cause we live, I live in orchard County, so there's all kinds of apple farms all over the place. So we did that. Um, and it kind of just spiraled from there. I call assembly my accidental business. <laughs> it's kind of happened by accident. It kind of spiraled. So, I think the pictures, the pictures of the gathering went on social media and people were like, what is this? And can I come? And um, I was like, yeah, I think you can come. So I planned another one and in a different venue and then planned another one. And it just kind of grew from there um, from gatherings to then like hosting workshops. You know, a lot of the conversation around the tables at these gatherings were you know, about the insecurities of being a female business owner or a female creative and all the different things that are about the inner work that women just really wanted to talk to each other about. So I started creating these workshops where we could do that and I did some teaching and then that's um, it kind of evolved into a members community and then some coaching and running courses and stuff like that. So it's been really organic then. It has been organic. It sounds a little bit like wanky to say that, to be honest. <laughs> Am I allowed to say wanky? Yes, absolutely.
0: You're allowed to say wanky, and you're allowed to say organic. Okay, fine. Um, that's in, why does it why does it sound wanky? Because it's a marketing term, or because maybe yeah, maybe maybe. So was, I don't know. You're more comfortable <laughs> saying it was an accident.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and I get it. Like I and, and you know what? To be truthful, there was a real natural progression of things um <clears throat> there was for sure uh that not that I could have foreseen that at all but it it was natural and um and I love it and I've no i you know I've no qualms about saying that it's even though it's accidental it's absolutely the right thing that I pursued it so just so I was running assembly kind of on the side of this other activism work and I don't know, I think for a lot of people, sometimes there come, there comes a time when they have two things on the go where one just kind of starts to eclipse a little bit and you just feel that gravity, um, that change of of where you're drawn. And, and it took a while for me to surrender to that, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and I suppose as well, I don't know if you felt this, I know when I left the NHS, there was this real sense of like, I'm doing really important work here and mm. I don't know that what I'm going to do to other people looks as important. Like I could find the importance in it.
1: Right. And I remember, I think it was a really early episode of your podcast, actually, where you had, oh, uh, like creating for good or somebody. Oh, yeah. Gosh, you've yeah. got a good memory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really remember that, though. I really remember that episode because I needed to hear that at the time about how um, how these things can be both and, you know? Like yeah. our careers can be both and. Like just because you pivot away or around something, it doesn't change who you are. I also um spent about a year doing training with the lovely Tara Moore.
0: Oh, yes so you can see that in your work I feel like (laughs) I can see her influence on you
1: yeah she's a huge mentor to me and not that she knows but um to me in so many ways in her work and I think one of the biggest draws for me to that to her programs were that um I could see in her work this sense of alignment with with work with women and being really true to yourself and also that that can also mean that you can have these other passions and um and it doesn't have to mean anything that you that you evolve right um it doesn't have to mean anything that you're making it mean it just is evolution of your of your career of your desires of your life and I found a lot of permission in those things in that podcast in conversations in the work I did with Tara um I found a lot of permission that I think was really important for me um in deciding to move on from the work of Freedom Acts to let that have a new life with some other leadership and um and to pursue where my where my kind of heart was being drawn to, which is this this work with women. And to be honest, I see it all in the same vein in so many yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. see well, it all in the same lens in lots of ways, if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. It's the same skill set that you need to turn up with every day. Yeah.
1: And I think when we... There's something about both of these works that I have kind of thrown myself into that is about... Uh, empowering people to be free to be themselves and to I guess uphold their own integrity and yeah that <laughs> yeah.
0: No, yeah they're completely it,
1: they're not they're they're dissimilar in in the output but at the core it's it's my values that's driving both of those things and and that lies in integrity
0: Did you have
1: any internal opposition to charging
0: for your work? Because previously you were sort of funded. Mm. And the turning that around and being like, I'm here to do good. I know I can help people, but I'm also
1: going to ask them to pay for my time. I find that super easy. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely a no-brainer. It didn't keep me awake at night at all. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> Everyone yeah, does. Of course. Of course it did. I mean, I had never I had never asked anyone to pay me directly. Like it's so easy to be able to be passionate about a cause and be really tuned into what people, you know, why people should invest in a cause or something that is outwardly really noble in that way but um when it comes to asking people to pay for the work that you do and the training that you have received and the knowledge you have and the skills that you have it absolutely took a mind shift I'm in a much better place with that now than I was at the beginning but yeah it was it was a real like inner critic fueled time to to move in that into that space for sure i see it
0: so much like in in the people i speak to in the insta retreat and and i'm sure it's the same for you like as women are showing up and and when you have that kind of deeper calling to what you're doing that you do have a a need to help people or a desire to help people it feels really in conflict with also wanting to make money yeah. Um, but it shouldn't, because of course it's the making money that then enables us to help more people and to scale it and to, to reach more people.
1: Absolutely. And I think my my biggest realization in this is that women in particular need to have more stakes in economics and mm-hmm. need to have more autonomy in economics and in finance and in, in making money. And that we are to be trusted. Actually, I think that's the thing that I have kind of distilled my thinking around this into is that women are to be trusted. We can trust ourselves, yeah, money and do good with that and to be the kind of women that earn money that we want to be and that other people can trust us. You know, but that is that is a real unlearning. Of so many things that it takes to get to that point of realization, and that's a lot of the work that I'm doing in assembly with women is around this too, um. Because like, let's look at facts. I mean, it was only in the eighties where women were allowed to get a mortgage this with below is my mind, yeah, guarantor where they could actually have access to an independent bank account. Um, You only have to look a little bit down the line of your own family history to see that, you know, women didn't have the opportunity to work outside the home in the same way. And our currency has been likability, hasn't it? Yes. Our currency to be able to maneuver safely in the world and to be provided for and to be safe has been be likable, be small, be compliant right all of that stuff like be provided for be attractive yeah yeah all of that stuff and and so to unlearn all of that like the centuries and centuries of of not having that kind of autonomy and liberation I guess is gonna be hard work and is gonna take some unpicking so I'm pretty patient with with that whole that whole side of things you know that yeah. it is patient with yourself about it yeah I think so I've had to be I
0: think so I find it comes in waves so you deal with it and you tackle it and you're like oh my gosh I've done it and then you hit the next level
1: <laughs> absolutely um, just and, keeps and coming you wobble and you need to have a a, a gentle chat with yourself <laughs> and some some trusted people who get it you know because I don't you know there's still a lot of women who just absolutely do not believe that they can make the money that they want to and trust themselves with it.
0: Yes. I mean that was huge for me. It's so interesting you say that about trust because that was huge. And even now like there's certain upper limits where as soon as like the sales gets into an area that feels too scary, it is it's scary. Like I can't be trusted with that. And and sometimes I'll say to my husband, like, Are we allowed to do this? Like am I gonna get in trouble for making
1: this money? totally when am I going to be caught out yeah Uh, I don't think men think like that though really no No. and it's yeah it's a really great conversation and I am the awkward person who brings it up with (laughs) with people who don't like to talk about it how do you feel about making money (laughs) yeah
0: well the more we talk about it the less alone and stigmatized we all feel about it um i blow my family's mind
1: whenever I talk about money not in a good way I don't
0: think they deeply uncomfortable but I'll still oh, totally keep doing it. I
1: mean I'm the only like my mum my mum passed away about three years ago and so I'm actually I'm the matriarch in our family now and so I you know there's me and Ada I guess like she's 100% my sidekick um but she's three so <laughs> <laughs> there are limitations <laughs> But, you know, it's my dad and my brother and my my husband who are all incredible men and really supportive and stuff. But, they're, but it is also really new territory for them in lots of ways that I'm, you know, the main earner or, yeah. you know, or that I, you know, I have a business that sustains our family as well as my husband's, you know. Um, so, yeah, that is family are fun, right?
0: (laughs) Always, always keep you on your toes. And actually, again, like even the dynamic with my husband, Rory, like that shift where he used to be the main earner and I was on maternity leave for part of that time. And then now like he literally works for me. So (laughs) I'm his boss and the one who's kind of holding the purse strings. And that's been like a real work in progress for us to shift all the dynamics and and find out what feels fair.
1: I know. And that's And that's such a dance, isn't it? All the time. It's a dance. And, you know, Dave and I, Dave is so not threatened in any way by, by the things that I do. He's, he's so excited about the work that I get to do. And he sees that that's, it's really fulfilling for me. Um, but it does come up, you know, it's not like it's, it's not that it's in these little tiny ways, sometimes that it comes up and you have to kind of readjust what you think do I really think this do I really believe this are we yeah. have this conversation that is the right conversation here or is this about something else yes
0: yeah a lot of self-coaching along the way
1: yeah <laughs> what are we really talking about here whenever we're saying that this isn't fair or whatever I'm gonna link actually
0: to um I'll put in the show notes an article I wrote for stylist about when my husband bought his mom a 200 pound suitcase for Christmas
1: I remember reading
0: this. <laughs> and this part of me came up that was like, that's my money. <laughs> How dare you. I don't know where it came, from. but like I'd bought my mum a bottle of wine and I was like, What's going on here? Uh yeah, that that was fun to unpick. <laughs>
1: it is, it is, and it, and it is a like a, a process of figuring that out. And Yeah, I I really I really love I really love the process as well as it as it's uncomfortable because I know that it's super important for me and it's super important for my daughter and my son to kind of see a different way of of the traditional thing, you know?
0: Yeah, this is how the future is going to be changed and and this is why this work is still just as important and we can't break things into like hierarchy of needs. Of course, because The waves we make by these small changes we there's no way of knowing where they're
1: going to end up I know totally and you know we're really we're really trying hard to to instill that in in family life you know yeah in all all the little ways of of how you do that whenever you want your kids to kind of uh see things differently or be more open-minded to what what their lives could look like and the things that they're able to do. So I'm hoping that it's just a bit of a dent in some of the patriarchal capitalist culture that I was raised in, you know?
0: Yes, exactly. Like I think that for all all the time, I took it to all of my book launches because I was like, I just want her to think this is normal. Like you grow up and you do this.
1: Yeah, I love that. I know it is. It's And it's so good to keep conversation open as well so that everybody's on the same page about how they feel about those things too you know um and that there's no no one person deserves more monopoly over what's fair (laughs) yeah yeah
0: absolutely I guess this kind of ties into the whole idea of influence Mm. Um, and you're someone with a platform you know Instagram is where we both connected for the first time I don't even know how I first found you I feel like I followed you for forever
1: yeah, it's been a long time. I think it
0: has. It might have been through um blowy in the Wind." Oh yeah, maybe yeah. So
1: yeah, so <laughs> I just Elizabeth- call her by
0: her Instagram. Now. I know
1: Elizabeth uh, did the did the first ever workshop at the first ever assembly gathering in the orchard that I was talking about. Yeah, she was one of the women that I was like, oh, I really love what she's doing. I would love to connect with her, and she's such a great girl and um has kind of been in and out as part of assembly since the beginning which is cool and then yeah I remember her saying that she had done some work with you and all the rest of it so that probably is the connection yeah
0: but so it yeah this world of kind of influence having a platform Mm. how does that sit with you I suppose like how do you feel about the whole world of Instagram and influence so
1: this is I feel like I feel like I am building a lot of like intrigue maybe this is my new curiosity Mm. is this of influence what it means right now what it actually means um what it could mean I think that's that's been a really big kind of curiosity for me in the last year especially so um And I think that comes from having dipped my toes in like a bunch of the different worlds where influence is known for different things, you know? So in activism and charity work, you know, influence could be about the influence to inform policy that protects people, Um, influence where I, in the blogging world, where I kind of started years and years and years ago. Um, And now has turned into this like $10 billion industry online, this influencing kind of advertising marketing world. Um, You know, I've dipped my toes in that. And I guess it's just, it's just been something that I've been really keen to, really keen to, to find out what other people think. I'm really keen to try and make sense of what it means to be influential. That's what, yeah. that's what I'm interested in. Like, what makes somebody influential? And what does it mean to be influential at this time in our culture? Like, how, how good a job are we doing of that, you know?
0: Yeah. Because, well, because it's kind of being bestowed upon people mm. indiscriminately, It's not like we're electing people based on qualifications.
1: You're not influential. Yeah. Yeah.
0: -hmm. Well, because it's kind of being bestowed upon people indiscriminately. It's not like we're electing people based on qualifications. It's ability to, you know, make sure you're speaking out about different topics and things, but it can be difficult to be learning as you go very visibly and publicly.
1: Oh, absolutely. And oh my goodness, I have so much to say about that. But I also just want to caveat this conversation by saying that this isn't, I'm not interested in like scattering any shame around influencing or like the marketing influencing side of things. But I am super curious about what that means for us, what it means for the, the idea of being influential. And how we might need to reclaim it a little bit and re-harness it somehow in a way that actually looks at being influential as an improvement. Does that make sense? Yes. So is it is this improving Um, is a question that I'm really interested in. Um, and I guess I'm at the stage of like research Cause I love to like know lots of stuff about things. So I'm like, I've gone, Mm -hmm. I've gone deep into (laughs) like academic journals. And this is exactly uh, what I do. Hyper focus. (laughs) Totally geeky bookmarking everything around this idea of influence and what that means. So there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff around like social influence and changing behavior, either unintentionally or intentionally because of power and conformity and compliance and um, obedience and all of these different kind of social influence um, theories that are so interesting to me because I can see how they're played out online. I can see how they're played out in the influencing uh, world and that industry. Um, and, And just I'm curious about what this means for us Um, but so I, I started like, but over, just over a year ago, um, to interview people and it started with like some Instagram polls, um, ironically, (laughs) and and then like, but it's a good space to kind of hear what people think and, um, people who are already interested in in that stuff and then some deeper questions through like direct messages and then a survey and then all this stuff around academic journals and studies and social normative influence and all this kind of stuff. That's pretty geeky, but really, really fascinating. And I feel like I'm scratching the surface, but starting to put some ideas together about what it actually means to be improvingly influential. Um, and that is, that is an amazing, amazing concept to me that someone can be truly improvingly influential, um, and the, and the kind of research and the things that people have said and what I'm pulling together in all of this has been so like fascinating. Um, because I think when people are really posed with this question of who are the people, that are really influential to you most of us like when we reflect it's really personal Mm. like it's not that person on instagram like it's it's the people it's the grandparents and the mentors and the teachers or the parents or whatever that have actually had this direct access into our lives and um and there's this really personal layer to what makes someone influential. And then there's a social layer to what makes someone influential to us. So who are these, who are the leaders and the thinkers and the innovators that have shaped your worldview and your culture and the people that are in your, you know, in your eyesight that are showing you something that's really good and true, that's influencing your thinking and what you do. Um, that is really interesting as well. And I I've started to kind of look at the themes that have been coming up because it's been really interesting and um, because there have been really, really recurring themes around the people that have been really influential to us, both personally and socially. Um, So tell me about the themes. Yeah. So so there's these, these kind of themes that, so there was a whole, I came up with this whole list of like, you know, there's probably like 60 or 70 attributes and distinctions that people told me through this kind of research about what it was about that person or that in that social setting or kind of cultural setting and personally that made that person influential to them. And so I kind of spent some time Looking at this list of things, categorizing them, shifting them into like boxes. I love this kind of stuff, by the way. <laughs> I am like fully fully here for that. and i so kind of like what what are some similarities in, in these things? And it came out that there was these three almost these three like themes or pillars that seemed to cross over within this personal and social influence of people that we find to be like that in our lives. So the first one that came up was that people of significant personal and social influence were people that were really acutely intuitive. Mm -hmm.
0: That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, people who are really acutely tuned in to their own intuition. So some of the responses I got were like, um, oh, they had a really strong sense of self or they had really deep convictions about things or they seemed to be able to step outside of the noise and do their own thing or walk their own path or they seemed to be able to try things that they wanted to try yes. and, 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 you know, and...
0: This has such a ring of truth to it. Like, yeah. I'm nodding along here, Yes.
1: And I just, that's the word that came to me that fitted so much of that, of those answers that came around so much of those answers. So it was this idea that people who are really personally and socially influential to us in this deep way are people who just are not swayed by the status quo. So they're, they have this like access to themselves of their own responsibility of their own sense of self and like they can cut through the noise and decide for themselves what they want to do or who they want to be which makes sense
0: because yeah like we we see that and we want that that's a really difficult place to get to but I guess also as well like they are the ones then generating the ideas and doing the things outside of the norm that are exciting and new
1: Totally. And the world's super noisy, right? Like there's a million ways that we can be swayed that voices of people how to tell us what we should buy, who we should be, what we should do, all of that. And I think what was significant about those answers around this theme of intuition was that people can, people that are influential seem to be able to cut through it and develop these practices of listening and being really loyal to their own ideas and their own thoughts and accessing their own knowledge and wisdom and that that can be a driving force
0: like I am obsessed with this idea sorry (laughs) it's just so many things pinging in my head um like the idea of who would you be if you hadn't been exposed to all of these kind of outside noisy like who if you'd been plunked on a desert island at birth and just lived there And then you came here, like you wouldn't know that like, oh, yoga makes you look middle class and affluent. Or like you wouldn't know that reading this paper is frowned upon and this paper makes you a good person. Like if you could just be who you were, who would you be?
1: I know. Yeah, it's it's that is a brilliant way of thinking about it because it's layers, isn't it? The layers that we have kind of accumulated that it seems to be that if we can figure out healthy ways of peeling those off somehow and accessing who we are at our core what we really truly believe and then act on that like that is that is really fully being alive yeah
0: yeah and it is interesting that then other people are recognizing that too
1: exactly it seems to be so that was like the first one is this idea of intuition. I feel like I could just stop there. because I know. we could do a one. whole podcast on intuition. <laughs> yeah, and and it's so hard won at the minute, right? Like this sense of what do I actually think about this? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? What do I actually believe? Like aside from what everybody else is doing and saying, what do I think? Um, not what's going to keep me safe in the pack, and you know, but actually what do I think? And then, once he, even once you know, then advocating for that. Well, that's where this next one comes in. So, thank you for that segue. So seamless. <laughs> um, and this second theme, the second kind of pillar, is around integrity. And so the the kind of responses that people gave for that were that this person was consistent with me even when I wasn't, or this person what you see is what you get with them and they change and determined uh, determined uh by their company um or they were the same in real life as they are online or they showed up for me whenever things were hard in my life or and these are real these are real statements that came through for me
0: not not people pleasing you but just being who you are
1: yeah so or they they always held on to what they believed Even when other people didn't care or even other people didn't understand, those were two things. So, um, And so what's coming out of that research is that this idea of integrity uh, is a really foundational quality of someone who is personally or socially influential. Um, Because I think that it's one thing to have intuition, like we talked about, and have that deep sense of I know what I believe, I know what I want to do. And then the step after actively tuning into that intuition is um, actually acting on it, you know? Yeah, So, And for me, like this integrity idea isn't about outer platforms and performance. It's about an inner posture. So Mm. it's about, it's not about, you know, it's about depth. It's about sincerity, um, not popularity or reach or whatever you know and I think that for people that influence us these significant ways like they the ways that bring out the good in the world are people of integrity and I have I don't know if you follow um follow Donald Miller who is the Mm. story brand no so it's a um kind of it's a really amazing actually marketing um company that he founded but his his original career was in writing he's an author this guy donald miller and his very first book is a book called blue like jazz and it's it's one of the first it's a kind of a memoir but um it's really really brilliant and he um there's a quote in that book that has always stuck with me it's kind of become one of my like if I could claim it for my own, I say it so much. Like, I just want to stop telling people it's his quote and to say that it's mine. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but it's, uh, he says, he says this, he says, what you believe isn't what you say you believe. What you believe is what you do.
0: Oh yeah.
1: So what you believe isn't what you say you believe. What you believe is what you do. So that to me is like this perfect, That's it. you know, it, example of integrity so people that show up when things are hard that do the work of being really flawed that trust their intuition um and then live out these things that they believe in
0: yeah because it's easy to say I believe in these things mm-hmm. but then and when it's push comes to shove it's very hard sometimes to actually act it out
1: it is and I you know I'm not here to be super noble about that and say that that's exactly how i live my life it's totally aspirational to be to have those qualities um but it's just so interesting like from the research this is what this is what is coming out like this idea of people who who know and are intuitively connected to their own beliefs and desires uh, then have the integrity to act them out um is so it's just so inspirational to me. Like I find that really motivating. Yeah. Well, cause
0: um, these are both qualities that we can all nurture.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't have to look one way. Right. So it's, it's, there's margin with that for, yeah. for all kinds of, you know, circumstances. So that's the second one is this idea of integrity. And then the third kind of theme that seemed to emerge was this idea of impact. So people that have, Great social and personal influence seem to have made some sort of lasting impact, and not only <clears throat> not only have an impact, but they know that their actions have an impact, and they take that responsibility seriously. So, What's an example
0: of impact? Them.
1: So, okay. So some of the responses around that would have been, um, this person put language to the things that I had always thought, but I didn't know how to articulate. Right. Or they picked me up and drove me to the interview when I had run out of excuses for not going. Mm -hmm. Or they shone a light on something in my life that I didn't know was happening. Or they called out something in me that I thought that I had lost. And I was able to see that self in myself again. So it's
0: still very personal.
1: Very personal, yeah. It doesn't
0: need to be on a grand scale of like, they
1: changed the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, there were some things like, you know, people who put language to things that I'd always thought like you and I could probably name several of like thinkers or yeah. you know leaders that we admire people in business who women that we look up to who have put language to things that yes. we're like, I didn't know that I thought that and now I do because you've said it
0: yes oh my gosh and I love that experience I'm
1: always seeking that out military big time so that that kind of impact you know that can be a bigger scale impact for sure but lots of it is personal as well so small enormous all but it's all impact you know, it's all people understanding that they have the power to have this positive impact on people and they take it seriously and they see the small things that make big differences and, you know, all of that. So, yeah, those are those are the three things that are emerging. And I am not done in any way with this work, like with understanding this, with like being curious, with Digging deeper, I just I'm really thirsty for mm, my brain is absolutely humming with it. No,
0: <laughs> and I'm even like straight away I'm thinking about it like just in terms of my little sphere like Instagram, like yeah. how actually like when people show up with these qualities, there's something there. There's something mm. that we connect with,
1: isn't there? Absolutely, there really is. And sometimes what I think happens is that. Oh, well I mean I have a lot to say about that and I th- but I think it's tricky online I think it can be oh, yeah. really tricky to and that actually how influencing has evolved has made a lot of us really skeptical skeptical about each other yeah like yes. there's real kind of we we're deep down we're pretty tired of having to like burn calories to try and determine if someone is genuine Oh you God, know? yeah And or if they're just trying to like, squeeze in us selling us or telling us something that, for some other reason or, Mm. you know, and we're burning a lot of calories trying to figure that out, and that's (laughs) quite fatiguing. I like
0: I like that measure of it. Like this is this is customy calories, guys. You're is. Gonna have to eat some cake if
1: you keep this up. Yeah, (laughs) and it's just I think we're just a bit, a bit kind of guarded in that way and I just wonder if that's unhelpful so I absolutely agree that when you see that those like three things in action within somebody that you know that it's that that's what it is because so much of it feels like it can't be trusted do you feel
0: as well like I guess, still sticking with Instagram. Mm. It's almost like some of us have a sense that these factors are important or people have noticed a trend that these factors are important and you get that kind of false vulnerability oh, that yeah. we see a lot of. And I wonder if that's people trying, aiming for that first one, that kind of insight, but not quite
1: landing it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that there is, is it Brené Brown that talks about how how it's important to share what is real, but not what's raw. And I think that so many people get their boundaries really skewed because they think that vulnerability is, is being super open and bearing all whenever actually vulnerability is very sacred and for people who are are trust are to be trusted and I don't I can't trust everybody that is following me on Instagram <laughs> can't trust the I don't entire know them world. I don't know all of them so oh, no. I can't trust them and sometimes I can't even trust myself so I feel like to to be so um yeah but also there is that whole culture of like keeping it
0: real I'm just keeping yeah. it real Well we've kind of built this system that rewards right over not oversharing, because I don't think it is oversharing. I kind of I don't know if I agree with the concept of oversharing. If someone wants to share something, they should. Mm. And there's no barriers on that. But yeah, this idea that like it's almost like, you know, you get universe points if you if you put your problems out there. And that that's very easy to get drawn off path with.
1: Yeah, totally. And I think that obviously everybody needs to come to their own, draw their own lines around that. But I think that we have got to model some some healthy boundaries around what it means to um, to be authentic, to use a, 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 a phrase of your own. <laughs> but you know, like to actually be uh, someone of authenticity without feeling like you can you need to yeah to to feign this vulnerability because it's it makes you seem more accessible yeah yeah uh, that's so what it we, is. we don't we don't need to have access to every part of each other um in this way to to have a, an account that connects or to talk about things that matter um and I think that a lot of us are misguided in the idea that in order to connect that we have to bear all and um and there's only a few people that deserve that in our lives you know yes
0: yeah well and and so one of the things like when I teach Instagram is I talk a lot about value and then I give all these examples of the ways we get value from people we follow on Instagram mm-hmm. without realising. And it can be so small. It can be like someone saying, do you know what? I've started getting up 10 minutes earlier in the morning because I just want to have coffee before the kids get up. Mm-hmm. And you can be like, oh, my God, I didn't know I was allowed to do that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's tiny. It doesn't ha- And That's not personal. That's not someone spilling all of their guts. It's
1: just someone... Yeah. telling their story absolutely I, I totally I love that example because that's so it's so freeing as well because value is so subjective isn't it like yeah. it, and and it's so nice to hear examples of that that are so seemingly mundane but actually they're permissive you know like it's that's really important that we hear that stuff because I think the beast is hungry, right? And online, like the, whatever the beast is, but like we are, we are told that we need to feed it in order to, to be seen and heard. And I think that that's what it comes down to in lots of ways, Sarah, is that like we are innately made for connection and to be seen and heard. Like, and, and so many of us deny that, deny that need and it it comes out in these different ways and sometimes it's this idea of feigned vulnerability for connection which isn't actually connection you know it doesn't
0: meet the need
1: it doesn't meet the need um but but that's what it comes down to like all of us we're all we're all just these little (laughs) wired up humans who want to be seen and for someone to say i see you i think that you have
0: it's so funny you say that because like literally over the last two weeks i've been having this kind of realization about myself that um like i had a childhood where my family didn't see who i was they saw like a version of me that they thought existed which i think is probably quite common Mm. um and i realized that actually the thing that always drove me like the thing that made me show up online for years was I was like I need someone to see who I see like to see me as I am yeah and Instagram gave me that like that was genuinely my first taste of being like here is all of the bits of me tell me tell me you don't see a monster and Mm. yeah and so being seen was like that was uh, that was my driving force and now I feel like I've kind of scratched that itch enough I've been like well what's next then what you know what what else do I want from this
1: that's so brave of you to say that because that is probably that's really really brave of you to say that because that's absolutely so many other people's stories yeah, as well I like think and I think I think that's I think that's why people are really drawn to you as well Sarah is that you kind of process some of those revelations about yourself <laughs> and then articulate them just like we were talking about you know like we you articulate them and people are like I see that in myself that is exactly how I feel about that and that's what my experience has been too and that's a real gift to be able to do that as well um but I and I get that that's what all of us are probably doing in some way I mean that's why we create the lives that we create is because you know we want we want someone to say you're good you know Yeah, you're good and enough that's all we want <laughs> you're, you're good you're a good person you 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 know you're you deserve to be around and all of that and it's interesting how many women really struggle particularly to acknowledge that they want to be seen and heard
0: yeah and how we have sort of slightly demonized that whole idea
1: oh yeah for sure like some of the women that uh, I do one to one with or have um and that are part of my group programs and stuff you know when i really we really talk stuff out, we get to this like core of like i want i I'm ambitious, I want to be seen i want to I want to create something that people know about and that helps them, and it's so it's so amazing to see the weight of relief. <sighs> you know, just lift when they just say those things out loud and there's space for that to to be said, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I want to be known for something um, because that's okay. and That's <laughs> so loud. That's incredible. Like, it's an incredible thing to admit, isn't it?
0: It doesn't make you a bad person.
1: Of course not. And we are to be trusted yeah. with that ambition, right? Right. Like, we can be trusted with our ambition, um is such a big theme for me um, and within that all the money stuff we talked about earlier and it all, all comes back it's the integrity it's the um the intuition all of that stuff yeah it's that we can be trusted to be who we want to be
0: we can and then that is how you know back to this idea of positive influence this is where it comes from because if we trust the right people and give them permission then we can start to see a positive impact.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? We need, we need, need, need more people um, who are improving influences in the world, you know? And I feel like we need um, more women, more people of colour, more diverse, nuanced, improving influence in the world. Um And I think that I guess I want my work to be this reminder and the learning that I'm doing around this idea of influence to be a relief from the draw and the pull of influence as this kind of consumer driven Mm -hmm. scramble to this like steady, sustainable idea of influence that stands the test of time, that holds up, that brings people back to who they really are rather than having people contort to the the loud and the glaring yeah it's kind of the difference
0: between influence and manipulation
1: yeah I think it is and I guess that doesn't I guess what I want to say as well is I don't think that that's about creating a culture where everyone agrees with each other and (laughs) you know like there's no room for challenging perspectives and stuff but actually that influence improving influence should come from a deeper place of contribution rather than consuming you know yeah being of service instead
0: of self-serving
1: yeah maybe it's noble but i'm here for it i'm here
0: for it too let's let's do it let's make it
1: happen well i want to hear from you who you have found to be like some of the biggest well personal and social influences i know it's kind of putting you on the spot to ask you that but I'm just always really curious like for you who have been the people that have been significant personally and socially. Um I know
0: we're talking positive influences. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about improving influences. Improving influences. Yeah. Um so my friend Helen who some of you all know Helen Stevens she's an illustrator. Um she was one of the first people I met who I was like, "Oh, you, you can you can be different and that's okay." Oh, yeah. um, I think I'd spent most of my life up until that point fighting my own difference and I met her and I was like, but everything I love about you is that you're different. Mm-hmm. And she stayed a really good friend and, and she was, a, you know, she was an influence on my parenting choices and all sorts of things. I don't think she has any idea actually how oh, much that's... of an influence
1: well- Lovely. And do you feel like she fits into those like three pillars? Can you see? Yes.
0: Yeah, completely, yep. completely. And then the other one I was thinking of as we were talking through all of them is um, a coach called Brooke Castillo, mm-hmm. who she's in the US. And oh. um, I'm actually I just recently signed up to do a coaching qualification with her just because I feel like everything she talks about
1: is just bang yeah. on. That's amazing I've seen her work she's wonderful
0: yeah and she like she's probably not for everybody but she's completely like no bullshit <laughs> she definitely has that impact thing covered and yep. yeah she's completely like in tune with who she is and mm-hmm. it, that works for me like that it. I just you know where you stand with her and I really like that
1: that's so cool how about you oh oh um some of my biggest influences Um, I know it's not everyone's experience, but my parents definitely were, um, they were social workers when I was growing up and we were just like at a real open door in our house to all kinds of wonderful people who had nowhere else to go. Like it was just a, that was such a formative thing for me to have Mm. a like that. Um, there were some women who like were in my church growing up, even though I'm not connected to church anymore but who just like actually really believed in me when I was a bit of a dick as a (laughs) teacher and like a real know-it-all you know um my best friends are women that I look up to and really aspire to be more like like they bring out some the best in me in lots of different ways because of who they are um I love there's this um there's this a woman called Marianne McCracken, who was a like a feminist, socialist, pro abolition of slavery activist in Belfast back um, when before slavery was abolished, and she up until her eighties was seen at the docks in Belfast handing out leaflets wow. <laughs> with her like uh, suffragette pins on, handing out leaflets about the. Um, Slavery, the um, the transatlantic slave trade and how sugar shouldn't be imported into Belfast. She was like protesting that up until her 80s. Oh my gosh. Um, so I always really, I always think about her and how like tenacious she was. I love, as a writer, I love Anne Lamott's work. And yes, yep. Absolutely. As a leader, I love Brene Brown's work. I love, I'm very influenced by that. And Tara, of course. Of course. Um, I also loved Toni Morrison's work. It was really powerful for me to read some of the things that she, some of the ways that she kind of talked about womanhood. Um, Tarana Burke, a uh, founder of Me Too. Oh yeah, um, she's pretty incredible. You've got
0: um, some. You've got way more answers here than I had ready.
1: <laughs> I I just was I was. It's part of the thing that I was like I, I definitely want to be able to articulate people that fit that fit those categories for me you know like uh, that show intuition and integrity and impact like
0: but everyone I'm thinking of like even as you talk I'm like oh yeah that person and that person and they all they all absolutely fit it for me
1: mm. Mm. improving, uh, improving, influence, improving I,
0: influence someone asked me this question <laughs> actually at my book launch in Manchester and mm. an hour before my mother had decided she wanted to come
1: she hadn't wanted to come in and she
0: decided she did. Uh, and so she sat next to my brother and someone at the end said to me, "Know what? who are the women in your life that have influenced you? And my brother went to my mum, here you go, this is your mum. Uh, did you say her? I didn't. <laughs> Unfortunately didn't. Uh, I don't think she expected me to.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, she probably fine with that. Yeah, that's awkward though. Yeah, yeah. But then
0: like to break it down into those categories, I can see like, you know, perhaps why she hasn't had that influence on me
1: oh yeah and I'm not saying that that is like a formula for everything but just everything keeps pointing to those things and I just find it really interesting that you know any other response when I question someone about why is that per has that person been really influential that they absolutely (coughs) can slot those things into those three themes and yeah I don't know what I'm going to do with that it's
0: kind of a great responsibility now you've got to use it well and use yeah. it wisely
1: I don't know, we'll see maybe there's going to be a some sort of opportunity in that to, to share it in a way, I don't know I think so, I'm excited to see where it goes
0: Mel, where can people find more about you and your work?
1: so you can find me um, on Instagram my Instagram handle is super fancy it's at Mel Wiggins <laughs> um, and you can also find all the information about assembly, the courses I run, my coaching practice, members community at melwiggins.com.
0: Amazing. And I obviously link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much. This has been fascinating for me. Oh,
1: Sarah, Thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to do this. So wonderful.
0: You'll find show notes for this episode at meandawla.co.uk forward slash podcast 95. And I will make sure that links to everything Mel has mentioned in our conversation today I will be back with another episode for you guys next week and I hope you're taking care of yourself I hope you're wearing your mask and I hope you're washing your hands lots of love